Hey, this is the Yay, I'm Reg Clay. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. We have a fantastic guest. We have Kieran Beckia. 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 All right. Well, we're happy to have you. You are the stage manager for um, the show that you're in, Norman. That's yeah. um, a salesman. Yeah. And you are the director of a new piece, which is Sarafael. And uh, I read the play, and it's a fantastic play. It's a play that deals with, on the surface, domestic violence. I mean, not domestic violence, but, uh, you know, um, sexual assault, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it also, there are also other things. I don't want to spoil it, so. Don't spoil it. (laughs) But it is a fantastic play. I I enjoyed reading it. It reminded me uh, so much of, especially on the latter half of the play, of a sort of Twilight Zone episode. It's very Rod mm-hmm. Serling-esque. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I felt it. But it's very timely. And where is it being played? At Adeline's Lab in Berkeley, which is a new art space. It's a, an art gallery, I think, primarily. Mm-hmm. But it is multidisciplinary. They're expanding it into a performance space, all sorts of... There's a workshop in the back that has a lot of sculpture work. Okay. Mm. Right on. And we'll have a link to it so that people can know. I'm sure there's a website to Adeline's Lab where people can learn more about um, Sarah Raphael and uh, other things that are happening at, uh, at the lab. Mm-hmm. Um, as I begin every uh, podcast, happy post-Thanksgiving uh, to both of you. <laughs> uh, how was yours? Thanksgiving was fantastic. We went to Southern California. Um, went to my brother's house. It's so funny. I keep promising my mom I will send her a link to this, and mm-hmm. then I say stuff where I'm like, mm, maybe I should just wait. Or I don't think we say anything controversial. <laughs> no, no. I just So the, the big goal of our thing, uh, we went through decades, literally went through decades where we did not have fa- family Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then my sister started visiting me. And then we went down to my mom's, and so it slowly started, and then I got married, and mm-hmm. so all of this has kind of rolled into Thanksgiving has become, it's a family holiday, right? There's really no getting around that. Yeah. So this year, the big goal was me and my brother mm-hmm. were going to have Thanksgiving at his house, and we're going to see if we can get my mom and my stepfather to come. No. Oh, it didn't happen. <laughs> They said they were coming, and then they weren't coming, and then they didn't come, and, and then I went and I visited the next day, and it's all fine. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's just the craziness of family. I hear other yeah. people's stories, and I'm like, wow, no fights, no drunken, you know, crazy mm-hmm. arguments, yeah. you know, none of that. So, mm-hmm. um, in fact, a lot of my brother is a great-grandfather. Oh, okay. So, oh. there were little ones running around, mm-hmm. which, you know, we haven't seen in a long time. It was like, whoa, okay. And... Um, he's got a bunch of uh, stepdaughters, stepchildren, and uh, they're grown now for the most part. And so the oldest one came in and just ran at me, gave me a big hug. Oh, and I, this blonde woman is running at me, and I'm like, hi. <laughs> so when she left the room, I, I said, so who's the blonde? Oh, that's, that's Tina's oldest. Oh, well, I really haven't seen her since she was probably a teenager, maybe even before that. I mean. Yeah. I haven't seen them. I've gone through that before where there are family members, and it, it happens where, let's say, one family member grows up and gets married, and they ha- their family is now, I don't know, it could be in Florida or New York or somewhere else, and you don't see them. And you're like, wow, I haven't seen you in, like, like there's an aunt who, um, who, has, who lives in Australia. Uh-huh. And I literally have not seen her face in 25 years, in a right. quarter of a century, so mm-hmm. she has no idea. 
you know, uh, what I look like now or how I act and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I tried to wrong the bone. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so, too. But uh, it's just, it's so I've, I've gone through that experience before. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The, the holiday season, you, you know, you think it's going to be wonderful and it's the hallmark, hallmarky way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it isn't. You know, sometimes people. Well, this was pretty cool. We ended up bailing on turkey. Okay. That was weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a turkey, but it's um, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of it. It's some there was a, or something. Turduncan. No, 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 no. It was uh, the brand had put out a thing about their ground turkey. Mm-hmm. There was a problem. Yeah. And my brother brings that up, and his wife panics, and she gets online, and of course, there's nothing about the actual real turkey, mm-hmm. just the ground turkey. But she says, "Well, maybe they're hiding it." I'm like, no. <laughs> They hit it, and it yeah. came out that they'd done it. They would lose their company, and yeah, they exactly. just refund you your money, and yeah. you're not going to lose that much. So, but she wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. But it had already thawed, mm-hmm. so she cooked it yeah. and threw it away. I mean, <laughs> isn't there a pet? Can't you feed it to a dog? And if the dog, well, and, it but if there's something wrong with the meat, you don't want to, you know. So, but that was like the worst yeah. thing that happened. Other than mm-hmm. that, it was fantastic. Yeah. And we went for rides. My folks are down in San Diego, so we went down there and then took a bike ride before we drove back up. Oh, very nice. Yeah, no, it was it was, yeah. it was a nice family. Karen, how, how was yours? Mine was great. It's the first time I've gotten to go home in a couple of years, so that was pretty right. nice for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's family makes it into big deals, so family gets uh, together. It was, yeah. It was really nice. Where? In Paso Robles. Ah, okay. Is that in California? Central. Mm-hmm. Central California. Coast, right in the middle. Got it, got it. Mm-hmm. Right on. So, yeah, uh... That, that place that nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. just kind of the, the central part where people drive through. Right. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, there's been, I mean, we haven't, we haven't seen each other in the last uh, couple of weeks, so there have been a lot of uh, well, current events. Too. My wife was like, so wait a minute, you guys didn't do one last week. Like, no, last week was Thanksgiving. We, we didn't have <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> well, deserved break. So, um, yeah, there have been some stuff. As a matter of fact, last night, well, I mean, George Herbert Walker Bush, gone. Yeah. So, I'm not that, I, I mean. Can you tell me one good thing, please? Somebody tell me one good thing that I'm supposed to remember this man for. Because what I remember is, um, is, the, is the L.A. riots. Yeah, sure. Well, a thousand points of light and uh, kinder, gentler invasion, of course, I know. And kinder, gentler, Yeah, no, that's what they call it. These are speeches that Peggy Noonan wrote for him. What was it, moderate conservative? What was his conservatism? Yeah, it was moderate conservative. He's probably the last Republican moderate conservative president that we've had because his son, far, far from from that. And needless to say, Donald Trump. I remember George Herbert Walker Bush. I remember Willie Horton. Mm-hmm. Honest, that was the first election. Mm-hmm. I was in my second year at school, mm-hmm. then college, and us being just furious. Right. Now, Karen, I don't know if you how old you are. I don't know if you're a millennial or if you're Generation Y or whatever. I'm right on the cusp. I just turned 25, so I'm okay. right. I think 93 is the cutoff for millennials. And that's right. the year I was born. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you even remember or know of Willie Horton, but Willie Horton was an individual who was let out on furlough. There was a furlough program that met, met um, uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts had. Yeah. And Michael Dukakis, who was running against Bush, had this furlough program. Basically right, to help prisoners. Yeah. yeah, help prisoners, you know, have, get an occupation, right. a vocation, so that they can have a sustainable life when they're let out of prison. They allowed out the wrong guy, Willie Horton, who wound up raping and killing a woman. Mm-hmm. And Bush used it. Had this Afro, you know, right. horrible, crazy-looking black guy right. used it as propaganda to frighten people to vote for Bush, and that's exactly what happened. That is what happened. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, it was. That's the thing. There's, there's just. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, he was polite. I, yeah. I'll, I'll give him that. I, yeah. You know, I was so happy when he got his butt beat. I was so happy. Oh, yeah. Now, see, that was the other thing, 92, where. They, you know, Bill Clinton was very tricky. He yeah. changed the uh, the the way of doing speech. I mean, right. doing uh, the debates. Right. Having the town hall debates to right. have people just talk to the candidates, yeah. which was something Bush was not used to. No one was used to. It. Yeah. And it humanized him. Well, I don't know. Right. Dehumanized him. Yeah. A lot of people were like, well, hey, you know, have you? When is the last time you worked, walked out in front of you know common people? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you went into a, uh, a grocery store? A grocery store. Yeah. You know, that was the thing. It was like he didn't know what a uh, scanner was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, no, and it's so funny because, yeah, Clinton was able to just be a man of the people. Yep. And, you know, watching the politics of the time, it was just like, no, are we really going to keep going with this guy who keeps making these empty statements? Yeah. Yeah, a exactly. A thousand points of light. A thousand points of light means the government doesn't need to do it because – all these Christians are suddenly going to remember what their oh, principles yeah. are, and they're going to go out and help the community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a Republican. You know, he said he was he was a um, a um, I forget what the term is, but basically he was a Republican. And he was like, well, you know, we don't need these public assistance programs because churches right. will take care of people. I'm like, really? What's the what's the function of the government? I mean, right. But in any case, so that's so yeah, he's that's, yeah, he's he's gone. Did you hear about Neil deGrasse Tyson? No. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I, you know, it, it chased me when all my heroes, you know, yeah. sort of gets fallen. But basically three women have come forward to say that he sexually harassed them. One said that he raped her in back in 1985. Oh. So he's about to lose his, I think he has a program. I forget what it's, what like the name Nova of the program is. Something. Yeah, Nova or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's about to lose it. Mm-hmm. So another one bites the dust. Right. Well, the other news headline that I, and I, it's so funny, I was looking for, so, um, I don't think it's her birthday, but Mad- Madeline, pa- yeah, it is, Madeline Pacini's birthday was yesterday, mm-hmm. playwright, local playwright. Yeah. Um, I got to do one of her pieces in Playground last year, so when her birthday came up, and there's a picture of us there, mm-hmm. so I'm going through my feed trying to find this photo. Yeah. And I come across Amber Geiger. Okay. A name that we've already forgotten, right? And I'm like, Wait a minute, what happened with that story? And the reason, one of the reasons nobody knows her name is because every headline about her says, Dallas Cop Shoots Black Man. Oh, yeah. 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 And then, and they all tell the same story mm-hmm. of how she accidentally went to the wrong apartment. And That's right. Like, Wait a minute. So y'all are basically just arguing her case in the press. You're mm-hmm. arguing her defense. Yeah. And you don't even name her. Did you hear about the story? I did not hear about this. This is a few months ago. Um, this happened in Texas, I believe. Uh, Texas, it was, yeah, Dallas. Yeah. Um, and she had worked a long, long shift, and she went home, and she's in a secure building, and she couldn't get her thing, the doors open with the fob. She went, she went in the wrong apartment. And on the wrong floor, and if you've seen photos, yeah. the door or the, the doormat or something is like bright red. Yeah. So you'd really have to be unconscious. But the yeah. weirdest thing is the door was open. Mm-hmm. It was a jar, which yeah. she thought was weird. And then she walked in to an apartment that she did not recognize yeah. and saw yeah. a dark figure. A black man. And called out to him to stop and then shot him. Yep. And killed this guy in his own apartment. She, yeah, she walked in his own apartment and killed him. And the night that she did it, she went home. Yeah. 
She went in there with the report and, her, and went home. And her defense is uh, self-defense. So right. she, she was formally charged, I believe. That's the news, right? A murder. Murder, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. They brought back a murder. They were talking about manslaughter, which I wish they'd done, honestly. Because mm-hmm. if she gets off, it'll yeah. be because they can't prove intent. Yeah. But, um... I'm just happy. They weren't even, they were barely even going to charge her. Oh, it's just a misunderstanding. We don't know what's going on. Because it went national, they kind of went, oh, well, we better do something. Protesters spent more time in jail than she did about this. Mm -hmm. The people protesting it. Yeah. I think my theory is, because I work in the DA's office, they probably charge her with murder, but they probably have a secondary charge of manslaughter if the jury doesn't find that she did it. um, Because I think you have to have um, intent. Right. Yeah, that's that's what the so that story just came out yesterday. Yeah. I was looking for this photo, mm-hmm. which I did find eventually. And yeah. that story came up, and the thing was, I had seen it in my feed, so I posted again just to say, whatever happened with this? Because yeah. I hate when stuff just disappears. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see and, what happens. And it was, and mm-hmm. as soon as I looked online to see it, it had just been posted. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: Have you heard of a term called blackfishing? No. So there's a story, and this is because every time we get into current events, we get into politics. And, right. You know, some people like politics, some people don't. This is sort of a non-politics uh, story. Mm-hmm. So there's a YouTuber named Emma Hallberg, who is a Swedish uh, star, and she does these makeups. She goes on YouTube, and she has this clientele of doing makeup, and she does – how should I approach it? black makeup she looks like a black woman uh-huh. but she's not black right and there's a term called black fishing so it's not cat fishing but it's black fishing where there are these uh, women who put on this makeup to look you know fashionably black or fashionably ghetto whatever you want to call it uh-huh. but of course it's pissing you know some folks off oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you have individuals who want to be fashionably black right. but they don't want to live the black life right. you know what i mean right yeah yeah they want to just take the good parts yeah yeah exactly so um let me ask you um uh Karen, um just what do you think about well just the i mean there are all sorts of other things going on i mean like there's the whole um the situation in and on the border, the caravan. Yeah, the caravan. Well, now they're firing, you know, canisters right. in Mexico. Uh, yeah, tear gas. Yeah, yeah tear gas, is which, is, which is against international law. Yeah, and you have Cohen pleading guilty. What do you, How are you? How are you functioning in the age of Trump? Um, I'm definitely scared. Yeah. I, at the same time, I acknowledge that I have a lot of privilege as a white person and as someone who's assigned male at birth. I am able to access a lot of spaces that people of color are, or people who are assigned female at birth are not able to. Sure. And I think I feel a lot of security in that, that I try to turn into action. Yeah. A lot of things that, because I have this access, I feel a responsibility to use that and to use a public voice. Yeah. And I think it's important. I think, I think that, that, become, that way too. I think that has become a more, I, I don't even know the word to put it, public is one word to put on it. Just that it seems like more people are aware and more people are doing that now. Which, yeah. Which, and somebody said that the other day, you know, this wouldn't be happening if Hillary got in. I was like, no, it wouldn't be. 
we'd still be fighting the same fight we were fighting before. Yeah. Now we're finding that we have to become public. Well, sure. I mean, if, if there's one thing, and we've talked about it before, that Trump has done, he's sort of amplified. You think that people will be motivated by love. People are really motivated by hate or by, oh. you know, by oppression. And it's a shame, but it is what it is. I mean, there have been so many protests. There have been so many people, you know, amplified and, you know, they're taking things to action. So, yeah. mobilized. Think, yeah, and mobilized. And every, from every part of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, let me see. U.S. fire smoke cans. I've talked about that. GM layoffs 10,000. Is anyone driving cars anymore? New cars? Well, they are. <laughs> and this is the crazy thing. I don't know what you think about this, but I, I feel like, a lot of times we're getting reported. I feel like we're getting bad reporting. Yeah. We're basically getting press release reporting. Whatever somebody, whoever's got a publicity mm-hmm. agent or a press person releases a statement, and that's what they report. Yeah. It's not just GM Ford also said it. Yeah. So basically, the American auto industry is tanking, Yeah. is going away, mm-hmm. and their bullshit excuse is, well, we're going to focus on trucks and utility vehicles because that's what's selling. Um but our, our sedans are not selling, so we're going to stop doing that. And it's like, well, that's funny because still most of what's on the road are sedans. Mm-hmm. They're just Hondas and Toyotas yeah. and Nissans mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. So the American auto industry makes shitty cars. <laughs> and people yeah. don't buy them. Yeah. And so the American auto industry is finally throwing yeah. up their hands and going, well, people don't buy our cars, so we're well, just going to stop making But I, I, I don't know, I mean, how many millennials, like, do, Karen, do you, do you drive a yes. car? I do drive a car. I will admit, my parents still pay my insurance. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it's becoming less necessary yeah. as a lot more millennials and a lot more young people gravitate towards more metropolitan areas. Right. It's becoming not as crucial to have a car as it used to be because we don't have to travel as far distances. Yeah. Well, when I'm looking at this behind you, <laughs> Yeah, black Friday, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that was my thing. I bought an electric trip scooter mm-hmm. to help me, you know, zip around. But I, I think that's the, the latest trend now. And yeah. you see these scooters all over the place. And, right. Uh, it's, it helps me out. Well, and it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, don't we need to come up with rules and regulations, but it just mm-hmm. makes sense in an urban environment. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know a lot of millennial friends of mine who are like, hey, you know, I just jump on the BART or jump on AC Transit or just do Lyft, right. Uber, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, and boom, that's it. So, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Hondas and, you know, I think that, you know, the Hondas auto industry. selling sedans. Yeah. Nissan is selling sedans. Mm-hmm. Toyota is definitely yeah. the Toyota Corolla. The to- you know, these are- I also wonder about Trump's tariffs. On steel. Well, that's what they said. Yeah. That's what GM said, very specifically. Yeah. So, there, you know, there's some interesting things going on. And we can talk on and on about our, our current, the current events. But I think, you know, this is, this is like the age of Trump. Well, and the, the last know, thing we should talk yes, about, talked about the election is that um, we're getting ready to start a whole new Congress. That's right. And, oh, man, the progressives are speaking up loud and proud. People are upset that Barbara Lee didn't get it. And I'm like... A uh, oh, young yeah. progressive got it. I'm very happy about this. Yeah. Now, now, are you surprised that Nancy Pelosi is, will still be the speaker? I want Nancy. Yeah, I want Nancy too. is our general. Yeah. I don't like generals, mm-hmm. but when generals do their job well, yeah. you applaud them. Yeah, stand up and salute. I, I will salute Nancy. Yep. Because Nancy got us through. She, she goes back. You know, Nancy has been doing this fight for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. 
and she's been doing it as speaker for a long time. Yeah. And I think it'll be personal because he has, like he insults everybody, mm -hmm. our president has insulted her. Yep. Nancy doesn't get on the mic and say stuff. Mm -hmm. Nancy goes and makes a deal with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's who we want right now. Yep. That's how they got things done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, and because there are a couple of progressives who went against Nancy. And I was like, hey, you know, you got to. Well, they spoke out against yeah. her, but it's coming out now that it's really the right wing mm -hmm. Democrats who were really trying to mobilize this. Oh, thing. the blue, the blue and, they be, and they were being encouraged yeah. by their Republican colleagues. And now yeah. the Democrats are putting themselves forward as speaker nominees. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. They, suddenly nobody was in Ocasio. I love that woman. <laughs> She's like, yes, I'm doing the. I'm I'm here with the protesters. We're protesting the environment. I've got a plan. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. They said, what about Pelosi? She said, that woman works hard. I'm voting for her. I don't know yeah. why anybody wouldn't. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And Nancy did her part by by not reacting negatively to the protests. Like, hey, you know, come on in. Let's talk. And you know, she said, um, we really do want the same things. Mm -hmm. And I, I invite this conversation. Yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't mean you're gonna get anything <laughs> with Nancy. You gotta bring something to get something. Mm -hmm. But she's not. She doesn't react. She's not a reactionary. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, that's what we need. We have a reactionary fool in the White House. Yes. We need somebody who can say, you know what? I know where I'm going. I'm staying on point. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. We need adults in the room. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Karen Beccia. Um, Beccia. Beccia. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Let's get in. Yeah. So does the double C become that case or is that just different? I think that happened at Ellis Island. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So, Karen Beckia, um, let's do an origin story. So, how do you, you're a stage manager, you're also a director. I imagine you're an actor as well. Right on. How did you get involved in theater? Were you involved in theater when you were young? I was. I started in fourth grade. My okay. sister did theater, my older sister, uh, okay. when she was in elementary school. And so, I kind of wanted to follow in her footsteps with that. Mm -hmm. And I almost never left. I tried when I got to college, I wanted to see if anything else right. would work for me, so right. I tried to take a class in every other major, and nothing really stuck. Yeah, I hear you. What was the first show? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. Um, in fourth grade, I think I did... Oh, this is a good one. It was a version of The Muppets Treasure Island, ah. but without Muppets, just with children. Okay. <laughs> so the children were sort of Muppets. I can imagine those dressing up like Miss Piggy and... Um, and Kermit the Frog and all that stuff. Yeah. Very fun. Very fun. And so it sounds like your parents, they supported you. Mm-hmm. All right. I think they're confused by these choices, but they're very supportive. Yeah. My, my folks were confused, too. You know, my, my dad wanted me to get into music, and he was a music, musician, but I got into theater, so. But it's fantastic, and they're supporting you now. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Is your sister still involved in theater? No. Okay. She's a nurse. Got it. Did now, you do any in college? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a BA and an MA in theater studies. Oh, okay. Fantastic. So you tried other things, but mm, decided to keep your focus there. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you go? UC Santa Cruz. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Ooh, uh, what's his name is there? Tom Lerner. Oh, I don't know him. Yeah, he, well, he's now he's a professor, what is it, emeritus? Um, he's retired. Um, he was, he one year sold one of the biggest albums of the year. This is like 1959 or something. Mm, no, okay. Oh, Tom Lehrer, the musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he was teaching musical theater classes at, at Santa Cruz. 
I think that was before my time. Right. Well, he had a regular thing, but apparently he still even now comes in and dabbles. Oh, that's great. At least last last I read, he's also gotten to the point where he doesn't want to talk to the press, and mm-hmm. he doesn't. And he doesn't. He stopped in the '60s writing the stuff that he was writing because he said, "I forget what it was." There was some event that happened in the world, and he said, "The world is just not funny anymore." Hmm. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You know, from funny to absurd. Yeah, John Cleese similarly made a statement like that when he, about when he turned 50, he was like, people said, well, you just don't seem funny anymore. And he was like, no, when you're a young man and the world seems absurd, you make fun of it, and that's funny. Mm -hmm. When you get to be an old man, you're just tired of the fact that the world is still absurd. Songs about pollution. Yeah, that's Tumblr, one of his mm-hmm. favorite songs is Pollution, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think about George Carlin, you know, he continued way up. He did until, keep going. Yeah. But so. it kept sounding more and more like one of those crazy... <laughs> he got a little bit angrier and angrier, yeah, as, as, as it went on. What brought you to the Bay, Karen? Uh, it seemed like the logical next step from Santa Cruz. I was already halfway here. Yeah. And, and you're enjoying getting all this. Was, I mean, how are you, how are you handling things in, uh, as far as um, just money-wise? I mean, gentrification, that sort of stuff. It's hard. I live in Oakland, so I try to be really aware of my impact, support local businesses, try oh. to make sure that I am supporting the community around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's definitely rough. It's financially not easy. Yeah. And being someone who's so young here and someone who doesn't have a lot of access to jobs that pay – very much has been rough. Yeah, yeah right. They can crow about a $15 minimum wage, but it's like, okay, so that still wouldn't actually cover real rent anywhere in Oakland. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's exactly One right. job at minimum wage is not. Yeah. survivable. Yeah. Now, you're doing the same thing because when I broke into theater, um, even when I was in school, I did tech. Mm-hmm. You know, I did stage managing, I did lightboard operating, sound operating, that sort of stuff. And uh, it sounds like you so, uh, sort of do or have done the same thing. Right. That's how we met. You were stage managing and you were getting ready to do uh, direct a piece. I was getting ready to act in Hamlet for SFX. Oh, no, but there was also another piece you were going to direct. Maybe it was going to be farther down the road, but you were, there was a piece, because we talked about it at one point. There was a piece, I think it was down the peninsula that you were going to do. Oh, yes, I was assistant directing assistant for Jeffrey Lowe on The Crucible. Yeah. In wow. Los Angeles. Wow. Mm-hmm. Arthur Knowles Crucible. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That was timely. Yeah. And running the length of the bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, doing a million different things. And it's always amazing when you, especially with a stage manager, there's so many stage managers who are just like, mm-mm, I stay on this side and that's what I do. And you were like, no, I, I'm doing this and I've got this going on. Yeah. Wow. I know that it's really helped me as an actor because, and it, because you get to see how a production is made, is created. You get to see things from an actor's perspective, from a director's perspective, and a producer's perspective because, you know, when the actors go home, you're still working right. with the directors and the producers, and you get to see things from a bird's eye view. You get to see good productions and bad productions, so you get to learn all sorts of things. Could, could, uh, do you feel that's the same way? I do. Uh, the program at Santa Cruz is very do-it-yourself. Yeah. There were a lot of opportunities, but not a whole lot of hands-on support, so everyone sort of learned how to do a variety of things, which I think has really served me once I got out of school. Yeah. Now, do you see yourself more as a director or as an actor? I mean, you you may enjoy doing a little bit of everything, but there may be one thing that you really love to do. What's that? Directing is my primary focus. Gotcha. I hear you. Which is also why stage management was helpful, because 
you get to do the same thing an assistant director would do. You're in the room, you're observing the process, and you get paid more. Yeah, yeah. Have you had any mentors, any directors that you follow that uh, has, that's taken you under your wing? Um, Kirsten Brandt, when I was in school, okay. was one of my mentors, and she was incredibly supportive, and cool. I learned so much from her. Yeah. Um, Danny Shea mm-hmm. was another one. I've heard that name before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked with him a lot in school. Um, when I got out of school, Everin Ochikin okay. is, I don't know him very well, but everything I've seen of his has just inspired me, and yeah, I think brilliant. the sort of theater he does is something similar to what I want to do. Yeah, it feels like there's a way where you do focus on a, you have your areas of focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about um, Sarah Raphael. Sarah Raphael is the piece, the piece that you're directing, and it's going up, is it, uh, it's this coming week, it's the 14th, is that right? December 6th or 9th. 6th or 9th. And I've read the play, it's absolutely fantastic. I don't want to give too much, but it deals well, with yeah, it. Yeah, let him, let him describe because yeah, absolutely. he can do it without giving it away. <laughs> Go for it. The first thing that really drew me to this script was it is about sexual assault, but it approaches it in a fresh way, a way I hadn't seen before, in that it explores the way that we tell narratives of sexual assault Mm -hmm, and how they get distorted through retelling and how one of the strong metaphors in the play is a game of telephone. Uh, Right. Stories getting passed along from one person to another and how we lose the authenticity of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a piece where you talk about complicity, where is the audience member complicit in, I guess, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you listen to a story, and if you retell the story or just, you know, just, you know, witnessing it, right. you become a part of it or you become, uh, com- yeah, when I say complicit, right. it, it really deals with, I mean, why not give too much away, but there's a woman who is at a party and she, you know, she, she wakes up because she was drunk or she, she had a date rape drug and she was assaulted. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the man's side of the view is, well, I thought that we were, you know, both in it together. Um, well, complicit is a great word because I, I feel like that, I, I like to try and leave space for this sort of mm-hmm. misunderstanding. Sure. The fact is we don't all see things from the same point of view. How can we try to come to some common understanding of what's going on? And what I find is people do not like to be called complicit. They do not like to be told, well, if you're part of this, then you're part of it. You know, somehow that seems like a logical thing to say. But when you say it, people just get lit. Yeah. And that's something we discussed a lot in rehearsal, too, how our production of this play could also be complicit in exploiting other people's stories mm-hmm. of assault and other people's trauma mm-hmm. in the way that we tell this. So right. we had a lot of discussions about how we respect the work, and even though this is a story that has been written and that is maybe inspired by true events, but mm-hmm. not directly based on true events, right. how that affects the way that we have to tell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's interesting? So I was reading about Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. and it's interesting because there was a woman that he went to school with. She was an undergrad. He was a grad student. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fascinating because the, the reporter who's reporting this mm-hmm. is a young individual. I think it's a podcast. And he becomes complicit or he becomes a part of the story because it's very clear that he's trying to draw questions from her right. and trying to report it. But you get the sense, is he exploiting her? 
-hmm. Is she exploiting him? Is he asking questions to sort of titillate or whatever just for the audience? Is he really helping her? Right. Um, you know, it's, and so we talk about complicity. We talk about what is your responsibility? If I see something, if I see an incident happening on the street, what's my responsibility? Do I take well, action? And is there another word for it? Because, yeah. again, complicity tends to light people up. But how sure. do you get people to recognize that they play a part? You know, is there a way to do that? Because a reporter's job is to ask the questions that an audience might obviously want answered. Mm -hmm. But those, if we haven't learned anything from rape culture, we should have learned a long time ago that it, the way you approach it when you get into that legal system, mm -hmm. the way you approach asking these questions, pushing for a description of what happened, all of that, it's, it frames the narrative. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Karen. In the, in the rehearsal process, Especially with this play, uh, Sir Raphael, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of emotions. <laughs> How do you manage the emotions? It's something that Norman and I have talked about a lot because Norman has directed and I always ask him, you know, like, how do you deal with an actress who's like, hey, I need time to, where there are a lot of emotions that you have to deal with. Honestly, no. Mm, At the first rehearsal, we sat down and had a discussion about how I assume that most people have experiences with sexual assault or know people who have experiences with them. Mm -hmm. So we all sat down and discussed, <coughs> excuse me, mm -hmm. discussed how we necessarily don't want to bring our own stories into this unless we feel comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think setting that boundary really helped everyone yeah. to set uh, limitations for themselves about whether or not they are comfortable going into that territory. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, that, um, I mean, as an actor, to be told, listen, don't bring your own stuff into it, but personalize the, 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 the script mm -hmm. and make it your own. I imagine that's tough, or maybe it's not so tough. Um, I, would, I would assume it's part of the job, but yeah. I think the difference is, are you turning this into a therapy session or not? Right. So yeah. to go, wow, this really resonates with me on a personal level, mm -hmm. That's great. I can use that. That's wonderful. I don't necessarily need to share it out or even, you know, actors who say, well, this is, you know, this thing that we're experiencing in the script is exactly this thing that happened to me. Uh, if, that helpful, if that's helpful to you and it's useful to the production, that's great. Mm -hmm. But they're not the same thing. You yeah. know, something that happened 100 years ago is not what happened now. Even if the stories are exactly the same, mm -hmm. you can't, you know, I, there was a story recently where it was like, Oh, that's what it was. There's a piece, and it's not, it's written, there's a piece that's written 1964, and it's about black-white relationships. Mm -hmm. And somebody's talking about mounting it now, and they asked, I thank them for asking a black person mm -hmm. <laughs> for some input on it, because I was like, oh, okay, I read this, and I'm like, back then that would have been a, a big shock. And the same thing we keep talking about, mm -hmm. you know, coming back to, what is it, how is this going to affect the audience? That audience in 1964 would have been shocked at the notion of this. I mean, it would have yeah. been as far from their reality as a fairy tale. Was it the Gingham Dog? No. Okay. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a, it's a small piece that's being okay. possibly being adapted sure. to performance. Okay. Um, it's not a play. Got it. Um, and, but, uh, yeah, that audience who saw that then, one, would never have recognized themselves in it. <coughs> Um, but it would have been very pointedly saying, this is the world mm -hmm. that we live in right now. Yeah. To do it now, well, number one, 
people reading it would immediately go, oh my God, this is so a reflection of what's going on now. And I just can imagine all these happy little white liberal people coming and joining in on this process. And I'm like, yeah, but it's also still about you. It's about us and it's about you. It's yeah, they're projecting, still, they're projecting their but own But the thing. projection would be different. And yeah. then how would an audience receive it? Because that audience back then would have been stunned. Mm-hmm. The audience now, if there were liberal audience, they'd be saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And if there were anybody else, they'd be going, what the hell is this? And I'm like, so you have to ask yourself, what is it you're trying to say? Mm-hmm. What is it the piece was originally trying to say? And it's mm-hmm. very naive from our perspective, very naive 1960s kind of way. Mm-hmm. Can you say that now? I mean, there was recently, I think it was here in the Bay Area recently, a thing that was done where women, a group of women singers, did all these pop songs mm-hmm. to show you all the misogyny that oh, is just part of the pop music. Yeah. And I was like, I know that because I'm a karaoke nut. And there's a bunch of songs. I, I loved One Hit Wonders for the longest time. I would do them. Mm-hmm. And one night, somebody told me to do, um, it's called In the Summertime. It's mm-hmm. a Mongo Jerry. In the summertime when the weather is high. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, right? Yeah. Get to the second verse. If a dad is rich, take her out for a meal. If a dad is poor, just do what you feel. The club we were at, women got up from the first beats of the song and were dancing in the aisles. Mm-hmm. I sing the first verse, everybody's happy, smiling. I'm like, wow, I'm gonna get to, I was single at the time. I'm going to get to talk to some women after <laughs> Get to that second verse. They heard that line. Stopped moving. I watched it. The room stopped moving. And by the time I finished the song, they were seated and talking, and there was no way I could have talked to anybody in that club that night. And I yeah. was like, okay, I learned a lesson. Yeah. There are a lot of songs like that. I can think of a couple of, uh, like, um, some OJ songs where yeah. it's romantic, but it's clearly, you know, I'm the man, you're the woman, and that's the way it is. Oh, the Beatles. Um, what is it? Um, the one, uh, you better run for your life if you can, little girl. Yeah. Hide your head in the sand, catch you with another man. Sure. That's the end of Little Girl. It's a cute, pop, wonderful song. Yeah. Except that it's basically talking about stalking and killing somebody. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. raised on the Beatles. The song has always troubled me. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about it until somebody pointed it out recently, and I went, oh, right. Never do this song publicly. Yeah. <laughs> the character, there's a character, Ando, who is the playwright. Mm-hmm. in the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fascinating, you know, because we were talking about the word, you know, the, I guess the, um, the responsibility of you know, with the audience, and of course you would talk about the actors, but you have a, a, a person who plays the character of the playwright, and his, I'll try not to use complicit, but let's say his responsibility to writing this play, but also is he doing it to exploit, is he doing it to amplify, you know, what's going on, but, you know, his character is very interesting as well. Mm-hmm. The way that I view him is he's approaching telling these stories through a lot of his personal experience. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to work through his trauma without emotionally engaging with his trauma. Right. And so he has constructed a world around him in which he's trying to communicate these stories without acknowledging that he has pain surrounding this. Exactly. And it's sort of a reveal. I didn't want to sort of get into the reveal because, you know, I don't want to surprise anyone. But, you know, we're introduced to Sarah as being the typical woman who has, you know, been a victim. Mm-hmm. But then we realize, oh, wait a minute, Ando's a victim. Mm-hmm. And that's a sort of a reveal to the audience. And I thought that was very fascinating and very cool. 
Um, let's talk about the playwright. Uh, talk, tell me a little bit about the playwright. Yeah, Julius Rea. He's an emerging playwright in the Bay. He's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I feel so lucky that he brought this play to me. I had worked with him once or twice before, yeah. um, and we were friends. We had a connection, but we hadn't really engaged artistically on this sort of level. Mm-hmm. And he sent me the script out of the blue, and I just fell in love with it. I sat down... I got it after a tech rehearsal. I sat down at 2 a.m. thinking I would read a couple pages and go to bed. And an hour and a half later, I'm crying on the floor of my bedroom. <laughs> wow. Powerful. Yeah, yeah. Very, very powerful. we got to get him on. we got to get him on. Um, has there been any difficulties at all uh, directing this? Um, yeah, yeah. But you haven't gotten into tech week yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely considering how we approach the material in a way that isn't exploitative and isn't um, making light or caricaturizing anyone's experience with assault. Uh And one thing that I really dug into in this play that isn't so much explicit in the play, but we were able to find in rehearsal, is there is a character who is the sister of the accused perpetrator and a friend of the survivor. Right. And so it explores a lot of who do we protect in these situations Mm -hmm. and how easy it is to stand up and say, I I believe all survivors, I support all survivors, and how much more effort it requires to put that into practice on an individual level. Yeah, because Ari plays the sister of Raphael, but she's a character created by um, Ando. Yeah, Yeah. and there's an excellent tete-a-tete between Ari and Ando. And, and that's why it reminds me so much of Twilight Zone, where there's a character talking to the creator, and there's a little back and forth. And like I said, I'm not going to get sounds, too much of it. It sounds a lot like, uh, not a lot like, but it sounds a little like uh, six, characters, six characters in search of an author. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, is, which is funny, because mm-hmm. you, you keep saying Twilight Zone, and that's where my brain goes. It's just theatrical. That's right. That's that was Twilight Zone episode. There was another episode where there's a writer who is writing, and all of a sudden there's a beautiful woman that walks into his area. Oh, gosh. And it turns out that she's a fictional character. And then his real wife walks in and is like, you know, I haven't yeah, seen that in forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, the play Six Characters was, mm-hmm. you know, it's so funny because Twilight Zone really did take, it was um, Playhouse, Playhouse 90. Playhouse 90, yeah. Um, that, so basically the stage inspired that show, and then it, went from there, grew from there. Yeah. But it's a similar sort of exploration of how do you tell the story? How do you, mm-hmm. how do these how, do characters uh, functioning as, you know, mechanism within a story sure. rather than yeah. as the reliability is alive. Yeah, and how reliable is the author? Well, that's yeah. always fun. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. I love reliable narrator. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious as to, I guess, your writing, your directing style. Like, having watched, so I just, we just finished uh, doing Four Men in Paris, where Norman was the director and I was the writer, but also an actor. And Norman's style, usually, you know, he'll talk a lot to say what his vision is. Mm-hmm. And then he'll, you know, put this show on his feet and do the blocking and let the actors do whatever. Are you the same way? I mean, is there a lot of talking and just, or do you just sort of let the or actors do their thing? style that you're aiming at? I got incredibly lucky with this cast in that all four actors are very, very smart and have amazing instincts. And so I sort of like to let them figure things out and not 
put too much on them until I see them hitting a wall. Okay. And so letting them explore up until the point where I think I need to step in and mm-hmm. clarify a story point or sure. clarify mm-hmm. what the actions are in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you block immediately or do you sort of let the blocking happen naturally? We have a fairly quick rehearsal process for this. So okay. I did some composition work with them on the scenes initially, seeing their impulses, giving them some structure as to when tempo shift should happen, when the big turns are and the sure. big beat shifts. But overall, yeah, we blocked pretty quickly. Okay. We did composition and then jumped into how we used the elements that we discovered there yeah. to solidify blocking. Sure, sure, I totally understand. Do you have any questions, Norm? <laughs> I noticed, I noticed uh, you were looking at your notes. Did you, were there any things that you wanted to bring up that we haven't brought up? Um, no, I think we've covered most of them. Um, the only one we haven't is the role of alcohol oh, in how yeah. we view stories of sexual assault. Yeah, because yeah. in this story, both Sarah and Raphael have have blacked out at some sure. point in that night. So they yeah. both have shady memories of what happened, yeah. but neither of them is really sure. And so Sarah, through a lot of the play, is trying to search for what happened. And right. one of her frustrations is she is relying on other people's accounts of the night oh, yeah. to know what happened to her, even other though she... Had a party. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it rang so true. I work for the DA's office, and uh, you hear these uh, these 911 tapes and also the interviews mm-hmm. that investigators have to have with victims, right. especially victims of sexual assault or alleged sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And it does become frustrating. Um, and it's, it's very cool when I read Sir Raphael how Ando in the very beginning of the play, sort of takes the role of an investigator, but slowly transitions into playwright. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Ari is not just the interviewee, Mm -hmm. one of the interviewees, but is also the character that he has created. Mm -hmm. So that is just fantastic. But it rang so true. You know, you have individuals who try to remember what's going on, and they don't want to generalize anything because they know it's going to be part of an investigation, but they want to be as true as possible. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to throw anyone under the bus. And Ari is the sister of Raphael. Right. So does she feel a bond to the woman Mm -hmm. who was assaulted, or does she feel a bond to her own family member Mm -hmm. who may be thrown in jail because of what she says? So it's it's interesting conflict, and the conflict happens almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And there's two scenes very close to each other, one where Ari is talking to Raphael and one where she is talking to Sarah. And the way that she approaches those conversations is so different, where she has a relationship with Raphael that has a lot of play in it, and Mm -hmm. they're siblings, so they have a very specific dynamic, but Mm -hmm. at the same time she is not afraid of holding him accountable for his actions. And in the scene with Sarah, there's a point where she reveals that she is also a survivor of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't quite go how she plans in that Sarah views it as someone pushing their story onto her and Mm -hmm. telling her how how Ari dealt with her assault Mm -hmm. and imposing how she dealt with it onto Sarah and how Sarah should be coping. Yeah, and recovering. It's it's a it's a delicate dynamic because we want survivors to speak about this, right. but we don't want to push them because right. all of a sudden we are re, it's almost like they're we're victimizing them again. Well, and you know, like what happened with the Kavanaugh hearings, mm-hmm. the folks that pushed back on um, Dr. Bossy um, 
said, well, so we're just going to believe this woman. Dr. Ford, Ford, right? Ford, sorry. Mm -hmm. Blasey Ford, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Um, We're just going to believe these people. You know, that's just going to be horrible. And again, when I was going through my feed, I came through a bunch of that Mm -hmm. stuff, and I was like, ah, these arguments are so frustrating. No, I am not arguing, and I think a lot of people from, you know, similar perspective are not arguing that we just believe everybody. What we're saying is the mechanism for even allowing these people to speak right now is just non-existent or seriously broken. Mm -hmm. And so they don't even get a chance to try and speak. We don't even get a chance to begin to try and understand what happened because we've already put them in the position of you either need to be able to tell us exactly what happened and prove it, or you're lying. And it's like, there's, there's a lot more complexity there. I, I wanted to come back to the drinking thing. Yeah. Um, I, for a lot of my adult life, didn't drink or barely drank. And I never understood the way our society works in the same way that I grew up remembering that it was regularly in the news that people were dying of heart attacks. Men were dying of heart attacks. And it became like an actual thing they talked about in medical circles about um, the Monday morning um, heart attack on the toilet because our, you know, our health, our eating habits, all this stuff was so crappy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, wait a minute. So we have a culture where it's saying it's this weird phenomena happening. Well, it's, it's a phenomena, but it's happening on a regular basis. Why isn't anybody doing anything about it? With drinking, I've always felt similarly. I don't understand. Like, even when they do the thing with, like, the holiday checkpoints, it used to piss me off. I don't drink. I'm driving. I'm stuck now waiting to get through this stupid checkpoint where if you really were concerned about keeping people from driving drunk, you just sit outside every bar in the area and grab everybody who walks out with keys in their hand. Mm-hmm. Done. Yeah. Why are we doing this? So what I'm loving that's about to happen is California has passed a law, and it goes in effect, I think, in January, where if you get a DUI, you're done. This time, you if immediately you get that device on your car, the breathalyzer, where you mm-hmm. can't even start the engine. I'm like, yes, it used to be that you could get a few DUIs before they would force that on you. Now it's going to be like, bam, you get a DUI and you got to pay the money to put that thing on your car. That yeah. should be in every car already, so yeah. that you know if you get in your car, you should be able to test, am I okay to drive? Yeah. Yeah. Even if you think you are, it's always, you should always check. I think it'll be like seatbelts, where the industry fought it. And then they kind of put it in, but they didn't want it to be a regulation. And then it started to become regulated. And immediately, fatalities and injuries just mm-hmm. plummeted. Mm-hmm. And the federal government went, oh, okay, that's a good idea. Why don't we just make that blanket? So These are the same costs that Ford, don't, <laughs> Ford won't make anymore, right? <laughs> or Honda. Or, yeah, but no, they draw the line. Right, yeah. But I think yeah, we don't want to. We want to have a society where you're free to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like freedom always comes with responsibility. Anytime you disconnect those two things, mm-hmm. you're just inviting horrible yeah. behavior and and a lot of danger to all of us. Yeah, I also think about the privilege of just having fun. I mean, just the privilege, and, and I think it's like a male privilege. I, I think about well, if I just go to a party and just you know drink with some friends, what's the big deal? Right. But if I were a woman. You have to think, I mean, they're just things. Every time that we bring a guest on, we talk about things like this. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded the things that I take for granted. Right. The fact that I can go to a bar and not worry about how I'm going to get you home. You can go to the stuff. bathroom, mm-hmm. leave your drink on the counter, and go to the bathroom and not worry that anybody has put anything in it. Yeah. If you're a male, 
you know, not 9 out of 10, but 99 out of 100 times, mm-hmm. you've got nothing to worry about. Whereas a woman has to think about, can I trust these people enough so I can relax and have fun without being taken advantage of? I had a friend grab me. I, I went to the alley the other night, mm-hmm. and a friend was there. And I said hi. I saw her. She was sitting at the bar. I went over to the piano. Mm-hmm. She said hi. I said hi. And then I went over to say hello to her. And I guess there was a guy sitting on the other side of her. He'd gone to the bathroom. And she said, so she moved, like, all her stuff over to sit. She said, sit. And I sat. And she moved all her stuff over to sit with me and moved his drink over one, too. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on. And then she said, okay, do me a favor. When he comes back, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Get his name because I've forgotten what it is. I'm like, okay. And I said, so is everything? Ah, she said, I don't know. I'm not sure. I just, and I'm like, again, I can't imagine a guy in that situation asking or doing something like mm-hmm. that. And in this situation, I'm like, I was actually going to leave, but now I'm going to stay and stick around and kind of check this out before I walk. Yeah. And, you know, alcohol, I think you're absolutely right, Karen. I mean, just alcohol, it plays into, you know, if you, just the freedom of drinking, you know, we we have such a a schizophrenic way of America. You know, America says, you know, like drink responsibly, or whatever. Right. But we're going to advertise Budweiser and, right. and all this sort of stuff. And kids have fun and you know enjoy college and all that sort of. Right. But you know, be careful. Right. I mean, we had a uh, running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, who um, and the Kansas City Chiefs. If you don't know, if you're not into football, mm-hmm. they're like number one in the NFL right now. Okay. They just played a game Monday Night Football where they scored 48, 52 points. Was that like a week ago? Exactly. They oh my God, the everybody talked about that game. Exactly. So the, the running back, it was revealed on, in, in February, got drunk, right. was with a woman, very much like Ray Rice, and uh, apparently he was like, well, nothing happened, but the video came out. He hit her and kicked her, and now he's off the team. Right. So... Things like that are happening. That's why I think that something Sal Raphael is very, very prescient as of right now because it's happening on every level of our world. I mean, you know, whether it happens to your friend, what happens to you know some you well, know some the congressional hearings. I very quickly decided I wasn't going to ask the women that I know because I was like, you know, the odds are really good that it has happened. And if you want to talk about it, the door is open. But I'm not going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Just randomly. Hey, by the way. Mm-hmm. Had any sexual assault lately? Yeah. How um, how is Bay Area theater treating you? I mean, are you getting the jobs that you are? Are you doing the things that you want to do? There are a lot of folks who are one foot in, one foot out. They want to go to L.A. and New York, whatever. But how's how's the Bay treating you? I've been lucky. I've had consistent work since cool. I moved here. I think the longest break I've had has been a month. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm tired. I've been hustling. Yeah. Um, and I'm at a point where I think I have expanded my network enough that I can now start focusing in more on what I want to do. I think directing is the hardest entry-level position. Sure. Because no one's going to hire you unless they've seen your work. No Mm -hmm. one's going to see your work unless somebody hires you. Right. So that has been a struggle. I self-produced some work. Mm -hmm. I have been talking to our different artistic directors. Uh, Julius is producing this himself, the playwright. Mm -hmm. And so I was incredibly lucky that he offered this opportunity to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like... The Bay has so much going on, you could always find something to do, mm-hmm. Yeah, which I've been very grateful for. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Okay, so you're not frustrated. You're not a frustrated actor or creative no. in the Bay. Well, that's fantastic. That's good. 
I think we are running into our oh, geez. five minutes into the one hour mark, but um, let's get into your shout outs. I don't have any. I, I, <laughs> I, I tried to get it together and then we got, you know, got into this. I said, um, so, birthdays. Um, Daria Hepps. Where have I acted with Daria Hepps before? I don't remember. But in any case, I'm sure she's a, a fantastic actress and her birthday is today. Um, Madeline Puccioni. Yesterday. That's right. Her birthday was yesterday. You ready to roll? No, no, no. That was no. That was the one I was saying with the photo. Oh, okay, that I, yeah. That I had to get a photo of. Um, also, yesterday, Judith Ferrar, uh, who is a director, writer, um, actress at Bendelstiff, and her birthday is uh, was yesterday. Um, let's see, Monica Ho. Her birthday is December the fourth. She is a uh, local actress here in the Bay Area. She's fantastic. Is she? Yeah. Oh, you, you know her. Yeah, I don't know her personally, but I've seen her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know her personally, but I've seen her. Uh, she's like a friend of a friend of a friend of, of mine. But um, And a good friend of mine, Bob Zick, he is uh, turning 44 on Thursday. He was a Bay Area director and actor. He's now working uh, in L.A., and uh, and that's it for me. What do you have, Norman? I don't have much. There was not much sex happening nine months ago. <laughs> I mean, no, uh, Lizzie Coker. Yeah. And I'm not sure where she actually works, but she used to be a big one at uh, Shotgun Players. Yeah. Uh, she's amazing. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. She's an amazing actress. Um, and uh, Carla Pantoya is another actress in there, Latina. Uh, also, stage combat, and she's been working... Recently, I've heard a few companies kind of mention um, using her, and I'm like, yay, because there was a time where there were not that many women doing stage combat, and Carla was well qualified. Indigo's birthday is coming up. Oh, hey, Indigo Jackson. She's okay. Ubuntu. We never actually said that. We're Ubuntu. Was that right? We are. We're not we are Ubuntu. Ubuntu. No, there you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she um, she's she's a wonderful actress. Mm-hmm. And. Is it her boyfriend? Was he the one that was in the um, Anton Wells? Um, I am not sure. Uh, no, no, no. It was um, it was the other um, Dan, Danny, who her boyfriend was in Anton Wells last uh-huh. year. We anyway. went to school together, Indigo and I. Uh, she was one of the first people I met at Santa Cruz, and I directed her in The Tempest our last year there, along she, with Sharon. She, she was Prospero. Nice! Yeah. Along with Sharon Chow, who is in Sir Raphael. Right, right on. Uh, Sam Herrit, who is a playwright and a reviewer mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. And last year, I was so mad. No, it was two years ago now. Two years ago, uh, doing Playground, um, he did a piece. They, um, they come up with a theme every month. And around December, they come up with something kind of holiday-related. And it was Home for the Holidays was the theme. And I had a cute one. I thought mine was really cute. I thought my, you know, you can't help it. They do these six pieces. You get competitive. I wanted mine to win. His was brilliant. It was actually literally home for the holidays. And it turns out, as the play unfolds, you realize that it is a senior center for forgotten holidays. It was so cute. Anyway, his birthday's coming up Tuesday. And I think that is it for theater. All right. Uh, any shows you want to promote? 
Uh, Ubuntu show, which I keep messing up. The conference, conference of, the birds. of the birds. Conference of the birds is right. is about to. No, it is open. I believe it's open. We're yeah. looking for uh, volunteers this weekend. All right. I'm, I'm going to see if I can volunteer next weekend. Co-production <laughs> with Inferno Feeder. Yeah. Right. Um, John Fisher is doing the history of oh, World War II. Yeah, yeah his solo, solo piece. At the marsh, right? Yep, at the marsh, and that will be. Um, I'm trying to see when it ends. It's a fairly long run, I believe. Same yeah. tonight. Oh, is that right? Well, Marsh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Marsh shows, tend, especially the solo, solo shows, get to have yeah. a nice... Yeah, it's running run. until December the 15th. So well, it's yeah. not that long. Well, it ran from November the 8th, so it's like a month and a half. A so it's, so it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, also, The Right Note, it's a new musical. I've been pumping that. Um, music and lyrics by uh, Rice Majors, who is uh, affiliated with uh, musical theater. Uh, also working on that is Jerome Gentes, and uh, he's affiliated with um, the Musical Cafe and Play Cafe. That will be running until, let's see, let me, until the 15th, December 15th, and uh, Monday Night Playground. December 17th, which hopefully, I haven't heard yet, but hopefully I'll be in. Okay. Uh, it's a possibility I'll be direct, I mean, be acting. I'm like, hey, because hey. <laughs> oh, usually direct for them. Yeah, I usually direct, and, and well, I was an actor, and then they lost their equity contract, and now they've got the equity contract back, and so I'm part of a group of actors going, yeah, like the equity actors actually did a fundraiser for Playground as part of the thank you for getting this contract. And then people are busy, yeah. <laughs> so, so not everybody has managed to get back in. But, yeah, hopefully I'm doing that. Um, and I just have, what was it? Uh, oh, uh, Theater First is doing the history, Theater First, the People's History of Next. Oh, okay. One of those I'm not sure exactly what that means. But <laughs> okay. Also, um, Full Fury Theater Company, they're doing Celebration Provocation with Libation. I have no idea. What that is, but um, but that's going on, and that'll be running until oh, I can't even see. Uh, okay, well, yeah, I've got that, Golden Thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing we swim, we talk, we go to war. All right. Oh, that play is yeah. The script is fantastic. It was in Bay Area Playwrights Festival a few years ago. Uh huh. Fantastic. And the only, uh, last thing I have is Barbarella on stage and in space. Oh, Barbarella's back! Yeah, ex- at the Exit Theater. Yay! So I uh, checked that out. All righty. Um, Karen, uh, did you enjoy yourself? Oh, did I we, did. Did we do a new promotion there? That's Sarah right. Raphael. And we will, Sarafia, we'll plug that. We'll add a link to that. Thank you. So uh, that'll be, and it's such a short run. It's only running uh, when four shows. Yeah, it's six four shows. shows. Yeah, what a shame. Four minute days. Yeah, yeah, but hopefully you guys get a, a longer run. Um, did you enjoy yourself here? I did. I listened to this podcast, so it's so exciting to be on it. <laughs> ah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, we do the best we can. <laughs> All right. I think, yeah, we should definitely get in touch with the playwright and... Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, because we'd love to uh, promote it, and although it's only four days, we want to get as many people to see it as possible. I, th- I think we get more playwrights in than anybody who's not just focused on playwrights. We seem to have quite a few playwrights. Yeah, you know, I think when I connected with the Playwrights Center, mm-hmm. uh, playwrights, uh, I thought I brought a lot of people in. Right. Um, but you brought some folks in as Richard well. Richard and Jeannie. And yeah, 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 that's right. So, um, But the more the merrier, you know, we try to... Diversified as much as possible. We, we want to get the whole bay. <laughs> exactly. 
All right, here's my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Really, any app, any podcast app that you have, you can search for the Yay and you can find us. If you're using, if you listen to your your podcasts on a desktop, uh, then you can click on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store. Use the search engine on the upper right-hand side and search for the Yay, you'll find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. You can find me on Red Space Clay. Uh, you got Hoosier Hoosier on Twitter? Yeah. Karen, do you have a, um, a Facebook Twitter account? I have an Instagram for my directing work. I have a website, KarenBecchia.com. Okay. Okay, and we'll, we'll add a link to that. And hit us up, tell us what you think, and we'll take it on from there. And we've got to find a better sign-off. And we are out.